are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday afternoon, everybody. Hope everybody's staying dry out there here in Auburn, Alabama. Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with your number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. That's how you can reach out to the show. We got a packed show for everybody today. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer to join us at 2.30 p.m. We're going to start off the show with some linebackers. Preseason depth chart series. The linebacker position for Auburn football. But first, Lance, how you doing today, my man? Doing great, Noah. You know, just hanging out in the studio today. Want to give a shout out to my mom. It's her. Uh, it's her birthday today. Just wanted to uh, to throw a shout out out to her. Tell her happy birthday. You're uh, so but, nice. But yeah, the, today's been pretty good, man. Today's been pretty good. I actually do like rainy days. Like I just like the vibe. It's chill. Well, happy it. birthday to Lance's mom as well. Appreciate that. Appreciate You're so that. nice. Well, let's start it off. Preseason depth chart series linebackers. We'll also talk about the USA Today Sports AFCA coaches poll that was released today. You finally have a preseason poll to chew on that Brian Harson and Nick Saban both do vote in. And Auburn, just spoilers here, they're not in the top 25. <laughs> they didn't make it. I really, do they, do, do they announce the individual ballots like they do for AP? I tried to look for it. I didn't spend too much time looking for it. Gosh. I'm sure you can find it out there somewhere because... We were able to find out that Dabo Swinney ranked Ohio State 11th prior to the college football playoff smackdown that he received at the hands of the Ohio State Buckeyes. So I'm sure you can find it somewhere. I was unable to find it with a quick, shallow search of the web, but I'm sure you can go out there and find it. But we'll talk about that later on in the show, of course. Auburn unranked, Alabama coming in at number one in the USA Today coaches poll. George at number five, LSU at 13, I think Florida at 11. Those are just some of the highlights of the poll up to this point. But we're going to start out the show with preseason depth chart series linebackers. We're going to go through who we believe to be the starters at the linebacker position for Auburn. I took this approach. I said two inside linebackers, one outside linebacker, the one that is not the edge position, the one that is actually going to play like a true outside linebacker position. Now, I think more times than not, you're going to see three or four players on that defensive line, whether or not one of them standing up as a true pass rusher. Auburn's front is going to change, so I just left this open to three different linebacker positions, two inside spots, and then one outside linebacker that is going to play more like a true linebacker rather than a pass rusher. So let's start with the positions that are hammered down and set because this is one of the most obvious position groups to go through. But the inside linebacker position, that's pretty hammered down with two starters, Owen Papo and Jacoby McClain. Yeah, I think they definitely have to be at the top of the list. I really like Papo and I really like McClain as well. I think... I'll put Papo at one if we're gonna if we're gonna just look at all these different linebackers to just rank them all the way down. I would say that Papo is probably our most complete guy. Had almost a hundred tackles last season, four sacks. Uh, he he did have an interception, I believe. Wasn't that in the, uh, the South Carolina game? I believe is where he got that pick. I might be wrong on that, but uh, just in, an incredibly impressive athlete overall. 
uh, the freak, as some guys call him. And supposedly he ran a sub 4440. And I believe he was actually left. Bruce Fieldman recently put out his top 100 like freak athletes in college football for this season, and Pegues was on it, but Papa was not, which kind of surprised me. To be fair, Pegues kind of fits that mold. He does. A freak athlete in college football. Not to say that Owen Papo doesn't, but he really hasn't been in the main focus of the college football community throughout his career. His freshman year, he was just a freshman. Almer goes 9-4, and four, regarded as a successful freshman season for Owen Papo. Last year, a sophomore season, 2020, despite the fact that Auburn was one of five teams in the SEC to have a winning record last year. For some reason, Auburn didn't get a pass from the national media or even local media, and people were down on Auburn last year. Once again, I have to reiterate, everyone was down in college football last year. Auburn wasn't any different. Everyone was down. And guess what? Auburn was still third in the SEC West and one of five teams in the league that finished with a winning record. They were still one of the conference's best teams in that top percentile So once again, I go back to, I still don't know why this defense doesn't get any respect going into this year. People are constantly down on this defense. Owen Papo is someone, and Zacoby McClain as well, they're just not getting the respect that they deserve from the country when you talk about this Auburn defense and more importantly the linebackers. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And a guy, another guy like you mentioned, McClain, is another guy that just he he needs some respect put on his name. I believe he had the most tackles in the country last season from an inv- individual did. player. One hundred and thirteen tackles. Fifty seven of them were solo tackles. He had, but three he's sacks not first well. team SEC. Grant Morgan at Arkansas is, of but course, he's yeah. not first team. Yeah, Grant Morgan from Arkansas off of defense that I said I believe on yesterday's show just bled last season, and they they truly did. Gave up nine more points per game than Auburn did. Yeah, but why why wouldn't we put Zacoby McLean, the number one tackler? In the entire country on any better of the stats SEC. than yeah. Grant Morgan. Why not? Why not first team, man? That's it's it doesn't make sense to me. You got to put some respect on this man's name. Owen Papo too, though. I think Owen Papo is somebody that has a more complete skill set, and of course, he may not have the run stopping numbers that Zacoby McLean does. He was about twenty tackles less than Zacoby McLean last year, but still ninety plus tackles. That's nothing to turn your nose at. That's great, too. That still is going to place at one of the top categories in the league. That's still one of the best production categories for a, 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 a player to, to that, for him to be 90-plus tackles. That, that has still got to be at the top of that production category in, in this league. Right, right. That, that's going to place you at the top of your roster most years, and, and he was second on the team. Yeah, and again, we talked. I think we talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show. Both Bumper Pool and Morgan had over 100 tackles last season, sure, but it was not a result of the fact that they were just really good linebackers and they could snuff out the run. Both of them, or, it was a result of defensive line play because on average, Arkansas opponents were ga- getting somewhere between 7 and 10 yards per play 11% of the time, almost 12% of the time. And that was easily the worst mark in the SEC. So the ball came to them. The defensive line couldn't stop anything. The ball came to them, and they had to make the tackle. And that's why they got so many tackles last season. Oh, and Papo offers so much more, though, than just getting tackles. He's got the athleticism to cover from sideline to sideline. Every linebacker could improve on pass coverage. That's just by virtue of the position, and they're just not built like that. If they were, then they would be cornerbacks. If he was 220 pounds and could cover really well, he probably would be playing corner or safety, right? Mm -hmm. He he wouldn't be playing linebacker. He's still 
good for linebacker standards when it comes to pass coverage but anybody can always improve at that position in pass coverage the other thing I like about him so much is his experience his athleticism the guy's able to cover a lot of ground he makes smart plays takes the right angles he's versatile you can include him in pass rush situations as well trying to get after the quarterback he had four sacks last year that ties for the team lead with Colby Wooden the guy could give you production at pretty much every element of the game of football on defense yeah I agree with you I agree with you are we moving on to our third guy is this your outside linebacker spot Sure, we'll start with all of the starters. We'll say we'll say who that third linebacker is because I, other positions I didn't want to do it this way, but I think at linebacker this is a unique situation. I don't think Auburn has a by the book outside linebacker that you can slot in there and be like, yeah, that guy is for sure an outside linebacker. That guy is for sure like he fits that mold really well. That's what he's going to do. I think how Auburn's going to use their linebackers this year, it's kind of a hierarchy. Of course, Owen Papo and Jacoby McClain will play 95-plus percent of the snaps this season on defense. And then you will see a third linebacker if they want to have more linebackers on the field because, once again, versatility is the name of the game with the Auburn defense this year, and they're going to show a lot of different fronts, especially on the back end also. I mean, they're, they're going to have a lot of different they're going to have a lot of different formations this year it's not just the fronts that are going to be changing the back end's going to be changing as well and at the second level if Auburn adds another linebacker onto the field I think that third guy right now is Chandler Wooten now does Chandler Wooten look more like an inside linebacker to me yes Mm -hmm. I think he plays more like an inside linebacker to me and I would say that if something were to happen to a Papo or Jacoby McClain that's the guy who would take over their spot that is the guy. There's a hierarchy right now. It goes Owen Papo, Zacoby McClain, Chandler Wooten, and then draw a dotted line, and then it's everyone else. And then you would start sliding guys in where they would fit better, whether it's inside linebacker or outside linebacker. But if Auburn is going to add a third linebacker onto the field this year, it's going to be Chandler Wooten, and he would end up, if Owen Papo and Zacoby McClain are healthy, or maybe they decide to move Papo to outside linebacker and Wooten to inside linebacker when they have all three of those guys on the field, I think all of that remains to be seen how Auburn's going to be using those players and it certainly won't be a finished product after the first two weeks of the season this is going to be an ever-changing system as the year goes on and how they're learning how to use these guys and what the best combination of these guys is but without a doubt the next guy on the field is Chandler Wooten I think it is Chandler Chandler Wooten so as far as like outside linebackers are we are we including Moultrie or any of those other guys or are we counting them no as part I've of the got those line? guys as edge rushers I agree yeah I did I didn't include Moultrie or Brooks or any any of those guys I just started started linebackers yeah so I have on my on my depth chart I have Chandler Wooten and then right behind him I have Cam Riley because out of all the guys that were in last year's class I believe that were linebackers out of that 2020 class I believe Riley got the most time out of everybody and he finished the season with nine tackles which is nothing but you look at some of the other guys that are that are on my on our list I think collectively and they've just not gotten as much playing time as as uh as Riley so yeah hierarchy right now for me Papo McLean Wooten Riley and then there are a couple of other guys that I think can get into the mix Joko Willis is one of those guys of course because he was recruited as an inside linebacker Juco prospect but word was when he comes onto campus he was going to move whether it be to outside linebacker or possibly edge rusher at his size right now 
Auburn football's roster, I think, has him listed at sub 200 pounds. Can you go and check that for me? I think he's at like 198 or something like that, which even is a little small for me <laughs> at linebacker. And I love smaller athletic linebackers, but he's at like 6'3", like 198. I may be misremembering, but he's if you could find that. He's at 6'3", 215 is really? what they have him listed at. Yeah, Auburn's website. Let's see. 24-7 Sports has him listed at 6'3", 215 as well. Well, then which linebacker am I thinking of that's a little bit undersized at under 200 pounds? Because there's someone on the roster. I'm not I'm not sure. I can go look for you. There, There is somebody, though. I know, I know what you're talking about. Well, Joko Willis still athletic. 215 is still rather undersized to play on the inside. Yeah. He's on the outside. I think he's someone that will factor into some playing time. It says something that this coaching staff went out to get him and that he was one of the first recruits for this new coaching staff. That says something to me. Any of these guys that this coaching staff went out and recruited right away, those guys have to hold a little bit more value in your mind, at least in terms of playing time, because this coaching staff saw them as a vital player to bring into the program moving forward to potentially fill a need. So Willis has two pages on Auburn's website. Bang, both I told of, you. Both of them are <laughs> under different numbers, and the updated one with his number 33 is 6'3". He is now at 196, so you are correct. That's interesting. He has Bang. two. He has two different roster numbers on Auburn's web, or like in in the in the web, or in the in in the link. He has two different roster numbers attached to his name. So they've got two different pages for this kid. Uh, one of them's just updated with his new. I guess they are updating the roster. We were talking yesterday on the drive about how they weren't updating the roster, but there's an updated uh, height and weight and number for Willis right there. I saw that earlier today. I was like, I'm not getting him confused with yeah. Cam Riley or somebody else, right? I knew that there was a linebacker less than 200 pounds on the roster so he's trimmed down almost 20 pounds right makes me wonder if they are going to use him maybe as more of a pass rusher than someone who is a regular at outside linebacker but maybe not that just seems really small for the outside linebacker position even in today's day and age they might be looking to use him in different ways he may be a versatile kind of jack of all trades player that'll be interesting to follow because under 200 pounds for a linebacker that is small Let's move over back to the inside linebacker position where the two starters are Papo and McLean, and those guys are going to take a significant portion of the snaps. Those guys, last year we didn't see anybody get on the field in exchange for Papo and McLean. That's why they combined for over 200 tackles last year. Nobody really got play time. There's largely no experience behind these two players, but who do you think are some of the names in this hierarchy that could fit in? I think another name that could possibly fit into this rotation just a little bit is Wesley Steiner. I think he's also also a guy that we could see get on the field for Auburn. Desmond Tisdall is also another name that I could potentially see out there for Auburn just a little bit. Um, but it, in terms of inside linebacker, you're right. Owen Papo and Sokovi McLean are going to be taking up the majority of snaps on, the, on defense this season. And so the guys behind them, I don't know if are, are necessarily going to get a ton of playing time. So whenever you look at guys like Steiner and Tisdall and Wooten, I don't know how often they're going to actually see the field and be productive, you know. Now, I'll also say this, asterisk here, Wooten could be somebody that comes in maybe for a snap or two every once in a while if you needed to give Papo or McLean a break but you weren't adding an extra linebacker onto the field. Wooten is somebody that I think is listed. Once again, I go back to this hierarchy. It's Papo and McLean at the top, and then Wooten's right there also in that mix of your key linebackers that are going to play the majority of the snaps. But I think Wooten can play inside linebacker. So I've got him on my depth chart as someone who can step in in a backup role if they needed to give 
Papo or McLean a snap or two for a breather, or maybe if there were special packages and they were bulking up in the inside. I don't know, but Wooten is somebody that I think could factor into that situation. But you bring up Steiner and Tisdall. Those are the two main names. I think those guys resemble a little bit more of Owen Papo in terms of their athleticism, in terms of their frame, ability to cover ground, namely Wesley Steiner, especially in the way that he was talked about it as a recruit. Tisdall also to get on the field but we've heard some good things about Cam Brown the brother of Derek Brown in terms of his improvement every single season that he's been on campus at Auburn and now he could factor into the mix as someone that could play this year absolutely absolutely but again as far as the rotation outside of these two main guys I don't know if we'll see any of them get significant playing time and I think that's a good thing I think that's a good thing whenever you look at Auburn's roster and we're breaking down all these different position groups to know that you have two guys that will start that will be incredibly productive for you and will allow you to to just be 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 productive at that position that position is is a strength for Auburn this season to know that you've got your top two guys down I think that's a good thing do you think there's quality depth at this position um I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of inexperienced depth. I think, but there there is potential. I think Wooten. That is a really good way to put that. I think Wooten has not seen the field a lot for Auburn, but I think he is talented enough to maybe step in and make some plays. Again, he's a senior. I believe he was the one that sat out last he year. Did. Um, Wesley Steiner, another guy that's been that that got just a very little experience in his freshman year, but again, I think he's another really talented guy. Tisdall's the same belt is in the same position. Yeah, Joko Willis is another guy that that could also uh, factor in that uh, from the JUCO level that could be somebody special for Auburn in a couple of seasons. So yeah, I think the 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 depth is inexperienced, but I think it has a lot of potential. And what's great for them is what's in front of them. They're not having to step into a starting role this year. What's in front of them is extremely experienced, has a lot of wisdom, has a lot of knowledge to pass down onto them, and they can learn from behind the scenes. I'm curious to see how this coaching staff rotates their linebackers around because they didn't do it last year. They really didn't do it two years ago. This has been a football team that when it, had ha- when it has found its linebackers on the inside, it has not gotten the other guys behind them a whole lot of experience they've had to step on the field at young ages and produce right away that is not the case for this group behind them until we really find out how this coaching staff decides to manage this position because if they manage it like the previous regime well then they are going to have to step into that next year or two years from now into a starting role with little to no experience but what's great for them is if you can get them on the field in each and every game and of course it can be limited snaps but in each and every game they have something valuable to learn from behind these guys yeah and I do want to I do want to really quickly touch on Chandler Wooten over the course of his career he only has a collective 45 tackles over three seasons 6'3 230 pound senior that's really good size for a former three-star linebacker I think he will out of out of everybody else that we named outside of Papo McLean he'll probably see the most time at that linebacker spot so Again, inexperience, but potential. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to break down the linebacker position from a scheme perspective. We got questions yesterday about the 3-4 scheme transition. We talked about that from the defensive line perspective yesterday. Let's talk about that from the linebacker perspective today. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. 
Keep up with the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered once again. That's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Press conferences up there as well. And today, Brian Harson took the podium. The tweet from Christian Clemente at C Clemente underscore. Friend of the program joins us on Fridays. He tweeted this out earlier from Brian Harson's press conference. And as soon as we get video of that stuff uploaded, we will have it on RadioAlabamaSports.net. That's where you can go and check it out and watch what these coaches had to say. Brian Harson said this. Brian Harson clarifies on Tyrone Truesdale, quote, he is not on our team, end quote. And then Christian Clemente adds, Harson rules out him rejoining the team at a later date. So there you have it. There you go. And to answer Shadow's question yesterday, is he on the team or is he not? It appears that he will no longer be on the Auburn football team. And it's it's a blow to Auburn's depth, but it gives a guy like Tony Fair entering his sixth season to prove that he has the potential to to make it work at the next level. And I'm really excited about that. I'm also really excited about potentially other guys in the mix uh, getting getting in there at, on the defensive line, as well as guys like maybe Marcus Harris, maybe Lee Hunter, guys that maybe would not have gotten as much playing time had Truesdale been sitting there. Um, so yeah, it, it, I think it's I think it's it, it's a crucial blow to Auburn's depth, especially at that position. But I think there are guys that are able and willing to step up, and I'm excited to see them on the field. It throws a little bit for me into question the nose tackle position, whereas I was feeling pretty good about the switch in the three four at that spot because I knew they had two guys. But now they only have one guy, and that one guy is Tony Fair, and he's trying to trim down a little bit. At least he's trying to shed some pounds. He was a heavy guy. He's a big dude. You know, he was like 350 pounds. He's trying to shed down a little bit. And that's a good thing. On top of that, though, he's coming from UAB, Indiana State. So he's trying to get acclimated to SEC play. It's a different level of physicality. It's a different level of strength and conditioning that you have to go through. And I know he's trying to get ready for that for this upcoming football season. Past Tony Fair, are there any true nose tackles on this roster? Probably not. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that guys couldn't slot into that position and become a nose tackle over time. I know Marquise Burks is someone that I've looked at at that spot. I think Lee Hunter could give you some solid snaps there. The problem is, Tony Fair, this puts a lot more pressure. This puts a lot more on Tony Fair. Pressure maybe isn't the right word. This puts a lot more responsibility on Tony Fair because it seems like now that that will become his position. Once again, you're still going through fall camp, and that's why you've got competition, and that could shake out in a different way. But I do say, and the key word there is, it seems like it puts a lot more responsibility on Tony Fair at the nose tackle position, but it could become a position, and and, and that is not a position that I want to see become a – that's not a position that I want to see become a community affair on on a 3-4 defense. I would love to see someone hammer down the 3-4 nose tackle spot, but that could become a collective position rather than someone's main spot. We'll just say it all depends, I think, on Tony Fair's development. Yeah, I agree with you. And again, I'm really excited about him because Zacoby McLean just a couple of press conferences ago, conferences ago back over the weekend. Yeah, wasn't even wasn't even asked about Fair, but he would bring him up and talk about how excited he was. Derek Mason also spoke highly of him, so a lot of potential uh, coming with Tony Fair. Like you said, there's not a true nose tackle outside of him on this roster, but I think Auburn can fill that hole. I think they've got the talent on roster. So there you have it. Brian Harson says that Tyrone Truesdale not a part of this team, and Christian Clemente friend of the program also of Auburn rivals he tweets out that Harson ruled out at a, uh, the potential for Truesdale to return 
at a later date. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Any questions for us, anything that's on your mind here on this rainy Tuesday afternoon, we want to hear from you. Coming up at 2.30, we're going to have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us. We're going to get his thoughts on the press conference today. I know Shedrick Jackson was one of the guys that was at the podium today alongside Brian Harson. I'm having a hard time at the moment remembering who the defensive player was. Do you know who that was? I did not, actually. I didn't know. I, I, I had no idea who the defensive player was. Well, well, we'll hear from Justin coming up at 2.30 p.m. We'll get all of his thoughts on what's going on today as those press conferences are going through and getting wrapped up right now. We'll have video of that later, once again, on RadioAlabamaSports.net. Talking about the 3-4 scheme yet again, though. Yesterday, we talked about it from the perspective of the defensive line and what this shift means for those guys, which is honestly what you would think of the most when you see a switch from the 4-3 to the 3-4 because now you've got one less defensive lineman and the technique changes for all these guys in their respective places. But now the linebacker spot is, is, is also a position that I think you have to break down and what this means for them and their shift. And is this a good thing for them or is this a bad thing for them? Does Auburn have the personnel to be able to do it? And I think that there are positive answers to all of those questions. I honestly am probably the most excited about the 3-4 shift for what I think it means for Auburn at their linebacker spots. Yeah, and I think there's there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of inexperienced depth at the linebacker spot, and whenever you have a guy like Truesdale leaving you, it's nice to only have typically three defensive linemen on the field and have more linebackers fill in, the, fill in those spots. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think, that, I think that this is a really smart move, and, you know, we talked about it on yesterday's show. Alabama and Georgia have had a lot of a lot of success running the 3-4 three, th- uh, three, and similar sets, the 3-3-5, three, three, and the, uh, the, it, what the, I believe Georgia runs, it's a... It's it's a very similar set to the three four, except they will ha- normally have three down linemen, and then they will only have one uh, outside linebacker that's kind of their rush guy. But it's still a three four set. There's a specific name for it, but anyway, uh, top top level of the SEC, they've been running the three four, and they've had a lot of success with it. So I believe that I believe that Auburn can as well. Number to call, 334-321-1390. A text line at 334-564-1840. What are your thoughts on the move to the 3-4 defense from a scheme perspective? Do you like it? Do you dislike it? You're afraid? You feel good about it? What are your thoughts on it? We want to hear from you. I said that I like this most from the linebacker perspective, and here's why. I talked about what the role is for the defensive line yesterday, what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to hold the point of attack. It's not necessarily about getting penetration in the run-stopping game anymore. It's about holding the point attack. It's about not getting blown off the ball. It's about not letting the offensive line get a push on you. And then it's about letting these linebackers come behind you and fill in those gaps and make stops in the hole. And that's what these linebackers do well. That is honestly the best thing about this linebacker core and their strengths, their weaknesses, their biggest strength is that they are exceptional run stoppers and that they can cover a lot of ground. They have great eyes for the ball. They just find a way to be there. They are magnetized to the football, hence 200-plus tackles last year. I think they're going to have a field day. It just comes down to this defensive line actually achieving what I said they have to do, which is hold the point of attack. I think that was my issue early on in the spring whenever we learned that Auburn was going to switch to the 3-4, and we've actually talked about this with Ferg a little bit. My concern was that Auburn would have a more difficult time stopping the run, and they were not exceptional at it last year. They gave up over 160 rushing yards per game. So my concern was having one less defensive lineman and not getting that penetration. Auburn would struggle. 
my, my concern being in the past, Auburn's not been able to hold their own at the line of scrimmage. They Last year, they got blown off the ball quite a bit against some of the SEC's better rushing attacks, talking about Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M. Those are some of the teams that you look at that Auburn struggled with last season. So that that's probably my biggest concern, is Auburn not being able to stop the run as well. But who knows? Let's take a quick break here on On the Line. We'll have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer when we come back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. And joining us on the line, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us here on the show today. Justin, appreciate you joining us here on your Tuesday afternoon, my man. Yeah, how are y'all doing? We're doing really well. And, of course, news just dropped uh, about 45 minutes to an hour ago. Brian Harson was at the podium. We're going to ask you about it. Of course, reports were coming out last week that Tyrone Truesdale wasn't there on Friday when the team was taking a practice. Today, Brian Harson says that he won't be rejoining the team, and currently he's not on the roster. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, <clears throat> something that didn't take uh, me by surprise. It's been we kind of talked about uh, uh, from you know some people inside the program the last few days. Uh, don't have all the details uh, of, of why uh, it's off the field related uh, is, is what I'm the most comfortable of saying at the moment. Um, but yes, it does. It does. Uh, you know, Harson confirmed today that he would not be back on the team. So uh, you know, it takes away an experienced member of the uh, the defensive front for Auburn. Um, but uh, it's gonna they can really have to accelerate the. Uh, uh, the process of getting guys like Tony Fair and, 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 and you know, maybe some of these young defense tackles ready to go uh, for, the, for the start of the season. Is Tony Fair ready for that nose tackle spot? Because I'm sure uh, that you would agree with this. That's probably not a position on a 3-4 front that you would want to be about the collective. You would really want one guy to hammer down that spot to be your surefire nose tackle and really take hold of that position. Yeah, and I think Tony Ferris has done a good job since he's arrived here. Uh, last few days, I mean, he's he's a big dude. Um, brings a lot of weight uh, up front as, as a kind of a plugger. Um, wrote about him earlier today at the Observer, but um, pretty quick for his size. Uh, that was something that Derek Hall told us today that he was really impressed with. He's like, I'm not trying to be funny, but as big as he was, I didn't think he was going to move like that. Um, and so he's done a good job. I think uh, we talked to Derek Mason on Monday. One of the big things they're stressing with him is saying, hey, you want to play on this defensive line um, and, and be a key player for us with the way that football goes with tempo uh, and stuff like that at times, we need you to be an every down kind of defensive lineman. It makes sense that if you're this like, gap plugger um, to be that nose tackle in the three man front on the early downs. Uh, but what happens if it's third down and it's a passing situation and we can't substitute, we can't get you off the field. Do you have what it takes to be a guy that can be relied on? In those situations, so I think that's what they're really stressing to him. Uh, you know, very quick, very uh, impactful um, defensive tackle, nose tackle uh, in, in a three-man front. And I think they're just trying to say, okay, can you do that and be an every-down guy? Do you have what it takes to be a guy that if we have to rely on you in some of those later downs and those obvious passing situations, can you get it done? And so that's going to be big, I think, for him moving forward. And he he seems like the best bet to kind of be the alpha of that position. 
Talking about the transition from the 4-3 or a four-man front, maybe I should say, to now maybe a more traditional three-man front. And of course, it's going to be versatile. I don't want people to be glued down to the idea that they're always just going to be by the book 3-4 because I think those days are gone in college football and in the NFL as well. But is this team ready for that? Or, or are there potential pitfalls that could hold them back from being successful this season? Yeah, I, I think when you look at this defense, they have the personnel to make it, make it happen. I think when you have a guy like Colby Wooden uh, play a lot of defensive end last season, uh, he fits more in a three-man front. I think if you have that nose, everything can kind of build out around it. Uh, some of Auburn's edge guys uh, coming into this season might be better fits to be an outside linebacker. Derek Hall being one of them, T.D. Moultrie. You pick up back Culeota in the portal, who's very versatile. Um, I think personnel-wise, they're going to be ready to go. Uh, this defense also... That three four, um, you know, in the base, what it wants to do a lot is you know set the edge and funnel everything down the middle. Whether that's to the defense tackles, uh, to the linebackers, to the you know the spine of the defense uh, with with your safeties coming down, guys like Smoke Monday. So I think if you build a defensive set that really wants to create a lot of traffic and a lot of flow towards guys like Dakota McLean and and Owen Papo, um, that's smart. It's smart with this personnel. Uh, it seems like they've done a really good job of making the transition uh, and kind of learning on the fly, you know, what this is all about. And so I think I think the defense is in a really good spot uh, heading into the fall. Uh, there will be some hiccups. There will be some growing pains, of course. Uh, but I think this personnel is going to be ready to go for it. You talk about Owen Papo and Zacoby McLean, two of Auburn's best linebackers. You look at that unit as a whole, though, and Noah posed this question to me, and I'll ask it to you. Does Auburn have quality depth at linebacker this season? Yeah, they think they do. And, and the big one is Taylor Wooten coming back. Um, every Thing you've heard about him since his return is like this is kind of the player we kind of need. Um, you know, veteran presence, gonna work hard, he's gonna be in the right spot in the right time. And then it's like, okay, well, who else is stepping up? And from what we've heard throughout the offseason, it's been Wesley Steiner. Now, they really like what Cam Riley's doing, they really like what uh, Desmond Tizzle, uh, how he's developing. Um, you know, they brought in Joko Willis from from uh, junior, from the junior college ranks. Cameron Brown's made some strides as well. But you've heard a ton about Wesley Steiner and that he can be kind of the next man up and ready to go. Uh, his athleticism is is pretty strong. He's kind of like a baby uh, Owen in terms of you know his kind of athletic makeup. Um, you know, being a guy that broke a lot of records in, in high school for those like testing scores that um, that uh, Owen set when he was you know coming out of high school. So you know he's in pretty rare company in terms of athleticism. I think it's just a matter of just like plugging him in and getting him experience. Um, last season, he didn't have really an off season to get developed and get ready to go because of COVID. Um, and he had limited opportunities to get on the field. And so now I think with a regular off season uh, to kind of learn uh, from these guys, um, I think you could have more opportunities to see the field. And I think between him and Wooten, um, they've got, they've got really good depth at a position where they're not going to want to substitute a ton just because of how good those guys are at linebacker. But you want to keep them as fresh as you can while still, you know, making sure that uh, they can be the best they can be. Switching to the offensive side of the football, Shedrick Jackson was at the podium today, and we talk about a lot of Auburn receivers. You talk about Demetrius Robertson coming into the program. Talk about the young guys that are going to fill in the void from last year's receivers that are leaving. But Shedrick, Shedrick, Shedrick Jackson's name really just doesn't come up a whole bunch. What's his role going to look like this year? Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what Shedrick Jackson does because he missed the spring for the most part with with injury. Um, he's a guy that's been on the field a lot. He even had more snaps last season on the field than uh, than than uh, Eli Stove did. Uh, but he just doesn't get a lot of targets. So it just hasn't been kind of his thing. 
Um, so he's a physical presence. He's a veteran guy. Um, I've watched him out there in practices the first couple of times we've been able to see him. He's moving pretty well uh, coming off of that injury. I think he's a dude that they can rely on. It's just there's just so much up for grabs, um, you know, and there's a lot of speedy guys. There's a lot of tall guys. And Shedrick, I mean, I think a guy who's seen a lot of football is a very polished player. When you hear Brian Harson talking about the mental side of the game and how much he emphasizes that, I do like Shedrick Jackson, I think, can immediately, um, you know, give you some help in that, in that regard uh, for a new staff. I've heard a few different people that have seen Auburn practice during fall camp say that that uh, Auburn is still having issues with dropping passes. Elijah Canyon, Kobe Hudson, Zevion Capers uh, ha- have had some issues with focus and catching the ball uh, consistently. Is that something that you have seen? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a thing that I haven't seen like a ton of. I saw some of it today from from certain guys, um, but yeah, I think it's. It's just, I mean, the inexperience. It's a young group. Um, they're having to work hard, and, and, and they're being asked to do a lot. And, uh, yeah, I think I think the hands thing is going to be pretty big uh, moving forward. They're very, te- very technique-minded staff, and so they're going to be able to really kind of emphasize that. Uh, but on the other side, I mean, I saw some really good catches today as well. I saw Javaris Dawson make an incredible catch in the back of the end zone, dragging his feet in and maintaining concentration. I saw Kalen uh, Newton make a really good diving catch. Uh, when, you know, kind of blanketed by Donovan Kaufman in the two-on-two drill. So, um, you know, there are high moments and there are low moments. I think it's just that kind of inconsistency you can kind of expect from a, from a young group of wide receivers. The USA Today coaches preseason poll came out today. Auburn outside of the top 25, which is interesting. I'm curious, do you think it's warranted considering Auburn was one of five SEC teams last year that had a winning record in the league and they really bring back a large portion of their returning production? Yeah, I think it's just a thing when you look at this team, there's just so many question marks. It's the same thing that happened with the SEC uh, media poll, you know, and when you have them behind as many teams as you did. Um, you know, to, to me, that's just kind of one of those things where it's like people know that Auburn has talent. I think there is just a lot of coaches. I mean, you know, the coaches poll really isn't a coaches poll, but let's just say people who work at these schools and for these football programs, the ones who vote, um, you know, I think there's a lot of question marks, you know, that they have. They know Brian Harson's a good coach. They know Brian Harson had a lot of success at Boise State. Uh, he's a guy that's well-respected out there. But I think there's a lot of kind of trepidation when you look at how good is Auburn going to be because they're going to like, it's like, well, you've never been in the SEC before. You're coming from the other side of the country. You're coming into a big job like this. Um, so I think, I think that's kind of the reason for it. Um, you know, do I think Auburn has the talent to be, you know, a top 25 team later this season? Absolutely. I think there's just so many question marks right now with Harson's adjustment being one of them uh, from the outside perspective that uh, people aren't going to give him quite as much respect that I think that they deserve uh, because of how much talent they got on this team. We've been breaking down the defense a lot throughout this week and going through our preseason depth chart series. Today we were doing linebackers yesterday, defensive line, and something we've just been coming across a lot of statistics where despite the fact that Auburn was down last year on defense – everyone was down last year on defense and you look at when it was bad in this league it was really bad and so for Auburn to still be top four in points allowed last year total points allowed in the SEC that's really solid my question to you is is this a top four defense again in 2021 I think it definitely can be I think if it tightens up on its third on its third downs and gets more of a consistent pass rush it's definitely a defense can be one of the best in the SEC this year um, you've got 
uh, talent pretty much everywhere. Uh, Colby Wooden's coming off an awesome season um, up front. You know, they, they feel like they've reloaded in, in some spots, and they've got some young guys who can turn some heads. Um, linebackers, it's going to be hard to find a better one-two punch than Owen and Zacoby. Um, Derek Hall could be in for a huge breakout year with more snaps. Uh, your secondary is deep, talented, experienced, got several NFL guys back there. Um, I just think if they just tighten up on some areas that, that hurt them last season, mainly getting off the field on third downs, um, you know, this can be this can be one of the you know a, four, a top four defense in the in the SEC again. I think there were some obvious issues with the defense last season, and if those improve, you can look at even better an even better unit this year just because of all the talent they bring back at pretty much every level. Justin, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all of your content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Check it out there. Six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year, you can sign up. And uh, get a lot. We've got a ton going on right now. Um, you know, observations from practices and interviews. Uh, we we're going to put them out there pretty much every morning for the next three days. And we got podcasts as well. So if you subscribe to the Observer, go to auburnobserver.com and, and sign up there. Uh, uh, you know, you'll get them all in your inbox. So you'll get plenty of practice notes, uh, plenty of uh, plenty of interview takeaways, and uh, we'll have that going. Uh, for the next several days because we're getting a lot of a lot of access at practice uh, uh, from Auburn. And so we're going to take full advantage of it uh, here at the Observer. Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon. Y'all too. Thank you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer there with us. Before we go to break, major takeaway there, Lance. Major takeaway there is that, you know, I'm just – I like hearing positive things about this defense. And, you know, you and I were talking about whether or not Auburn does have quality depth there. And I really like what he said about Wesley Steiner kind of being a, a baby Owen Papo in terms of his athleticism. Exciting to hear that Auburn's got guys like that waiting in the wings. We wrap up hour number one when we come back. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Before we wrap up hour number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. All right, everybody, let's take a look at what's on TV tonight. Lego Masters returns on Fox with a new episode at 7 p.m. The remaining seven duos attempt to build structures that can withstand heavy winds without breaking. Truly interesting what those folks can build with Legos. That, once again, at Fox at 7 p.m. Quarterfinals of America's Got Talent on NBC at 7. Some movie selections for tonight. First installment of the Godfather series is on AMC from 6 to 10. Disney's Maleficent is on Freeform at 7. Adam Sandler and the gang with Grown Ups 2 on IFC at 7 as well. How about competing in the same game of tag for 30 years? Tag is on TNT at 7, and that's based on a true story. Very interesting movie. I It's a personal favorite of mine. Once again, tag on TNT at 7. Live sports tonight, NBA Summer League Basketball on ESPNU at 6 with the Boston Celtics at the Denver Nuggets. And then some more summer league action continues at 8 on ESPN between the Detroit Pistons and the Houston Rockets. JT Thor played yesterday. Sharif Cooper has done a little bit. He didn't play yesterday. Josh Primo played yesterday, former Alabama Crimson Tide guard. Was it overly productive yesterday 
for the Spurs in his first game for the Spurs or one of the first games for the Spurs started turning heads with his passing ability of course Sharif Cooper is still doing what he does best in distributing the basketball had a no-look pass for the Hawks the other night but I believe JT Thor got his first summer league action yesterday for the Hornets if it wasn't his first it's one of his first he had 12 minutes yesterday and in that 12 minutes scored five points fairly efficient two for four shooting had three rebounds maybe a couple of assists no one assist and two steals so he made the most of his 12 minutes there you go yeah absolutely really 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 uh happy about what i saw from jt thor during his uh his summer league game sharif cooper on the other hand you know he had 11 points six assists but he also had six turnovers and that's something that he's going to have to get under control it was an issue at auburn and i really hope it doesn't translate to the next level because while he is a flashy distributor of the basketball he he can tend to to get a little wild at times it's something that jared harper also struggled with pushing the ball up the floor whenever it it didn't need to be pushed up the floor in, in in the way that harper and cooper did it but again incredibly talented whenever it comes to court vision i hope he continues to develop that and he played a lot he played like 27 or 28 minutes so i hope he's not trying to force the issue to say man i gotta make something happen to make this team or else i'm gonna get sent to the g league or worse cut and, and not be on this not even be affiliated with this organization right so you hope that he's not forcing the issue too much because i don't think he's too far off from finding his way into this organization i I think the hawks know that they got a steal i think it says a good thing that the media was not at least from what i from what i read and what i saw was not harping on the fact that he had six turnovers but the fact that uh he he had two incredibly flashy passes that one behind the back pass i believe it was 10 and a half and then one where he was at half court and he kind of flicked it underhand and got it inside between like two or three defenders just a beautiful pass um so yeah I think it's a good thing that the media is focusing on that and not on his mistakes because if 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 his uh mistakes are forgettable and he continues to improve on not forcing the issue he's going to be a decent player and he can move up in this organization problem is head coaches aren't going to forget the mistakes especially when there were six turnovers so he's also in an organization that is not lacking for guard play especially at that distributor point guard position where Trey Young is going to play for 38 minutes a night, maybe even when they need him to, to eclipse 40 minutes, right? So Trey Young, that's an issue for Sharif Cooper, but also you got Lou Williams coming back, Kevin Herter also in the organization. They have guys that can distribute the basketball. There is a space for a backup point guard because Lou Williams and Herter are more of shooting guards, but those guys are able to distribute and rotate around into that point guard position that is something that they're able to do so I, I there is a lot of work for Sharif Cooper in front of him for him to be able to make this NBA roster right now I'm not feeling great about him making the roster I think there's a real opportunity and I think the Hawks do know that they got a steal with him that late but it says something that a lot of NBA teams passed on him yeah and you know I think we you and I've talked about this a little bit that late in the NBA draft he is a steal because he does have that upside. So it, it, while, it, while it is a testament to the fact that a lot of NBA teams kind of saw what I saw out of him um, and, and, and passed up on him, he does have exceptional court vision. He is a great distributor. He can get to the foul line. I think if you give this kid time, I would have honestly liked to have seen him go to a different team because, again, it's going to be really hard to work into that Trey Young spot. A team with more opportunity for right. him to make the roster. Right. So I would, I think they're going to use – I really hope he does not get stuck in the G League and he, he gets traded to a team where he can actually move up. He may very well need the G League to develop. That is true. He, he's going to need to uh, develop that three-point shot one, one way or another.
hindsight is 2020 and i i don't want to bring this up and people think that i'm bringing it up in a negative way and saying oh he should have come back and you and i talked a lot about we thought he was a first round talent and i know a lot of people were shocked on draft night even folks outside of the auburn sphere so if you just want to say that all auburn media are a bunch of homers you know and they'd be like oh that's why they thought it was a first round guy even national media thought that he was a first round guy mock drafts everywhere had him in the low 20s they at least like he was not going to go past 25 was where mock drafts typically had him jt thor was the wild card for this auburn class jt thor ended up going first right the thing is there are teams out there that had probably more space for him on a roster than maybe the hawks do at a specific position but he's got a lot of room to develop still and you wish that he was still doing that in college because of nil rules now and at the time when he was declaring to go pro that hadn't broke yet but if he had stayed in college there's still an opportunity to make some money while he's developing and getting to play with a really good basketball team without necessarily getting marooned in the g league or you're not making a ton of money yeah final final thoughts although i agree with you hindsight is 2020 should i should either of these guys have come back for one more year would it have benefited them do you think it would have benefited both of them but i it would have it benefited more that is uh, now hindsight's twenty twenty for Sharif. I think now with how much with with how far he fell. I mean, like you pointed out, he was twelve picks away from not getting picked. So Sharif coming back, I think it definitely could have jumped him into the first round discussion. But I think the same thing is, can be said about J T. Thor. J T. Thor may be closer to making a roster than Sharif Cooper. So I will say Sharif Cooper would have been helped more by coming back, especially with the money he would have been able to make off of NIL. Oh, absolutely. And then also on top of that, you know, I think the fact that the kid was only able to play 12 games, if he yeah. had come back for an entire, if he had played an entire season this year, um, I think he probably would probably would have gone just a little bit higher. So it's just the the lack of experience at the college level that I think bothered some uh, NBA scouts. And what's funny is, Going into the draft, the answer to that question unequivocally from both of us would have been JT Thor. We would have said that it would have yep. benefited him more. But I think looking back now at the current situation those two players are in, it would have benefited both of them. But to answer the more part, I think Sharif Cooper. Yep. So speaking of more, there's more of On the Line coming up. Hour number two on the way. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. More of On the Line, hour number two here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Tuesday edition of the show, number to call 334-321-1390, text line at 334-564-1840. In hour number one, went through our preseason depth chart series with linebackers at Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, as well as continue to talk about this 3-4 scheme shift and what that means for the linebackers today. Yesterday we talked about it in regards to the defensive line. Just so much to go through. It was an action-packed X's and O's filled first hour. 
And now we go in hour number two, talk a little bit about the USA Today Sports AFCA coaches poll. That's a mouthful. We'll just say the preseason coaches poll came out today. <laughs> Got a lot to break down there. If you missed any of the podcasts so far, go and find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. That's how you can keep up with us on demand if you're not listening to us live on the radio dial. USA Today Sports AFCA coaches poll released today. We'll go through that poll in just a moment. Balance, broad, overarching takeaway here from that coach's poll. Um, I would honestly, I'm not incredibly upset with it. I think most of the most of the the spots are pretty accurate, especially at the top. I'm not I'm not necessarily upset with with a whole lot of different spots uh, in this coach's poll. Um, overarching takeaway is not half bad, guys. Not half bad. The coaches out there, they're pretty accurate. Pretty spot on, at least in my opinion. With that being said, I think that there are some outliers in this group that will exceed expectations, also will fail to meet expectation when the season ends. There's a philosophy difference in how people vote in polls, right? And polls are obscure to me, and, and I really dislike this element of polls because you go into the preseason and people vote in these coaches polls people vote in these preseason media polls people vote in this with the expectation of this is how it's going to look when the season ends this is you ranking all these teams at this moment right now this is how you think they're going to stack up when the year ends this is you ranking all of them and I don't think that that is necessarily how we should do it I think you should come into it and say, look, I'm going to rank these guys out. This is where I think that they're at going into the season. And then let's see how it fleshes out on a week-to-week basis. And so I have some differences of opinion with some folks on how the poll system works. But nonetheless, let's go through it. One, Alabama. Two, Clemson. Three, Oklahoma. Four, Ohio State. And five, Georgia. There's your top five. Any complaints there? I would probably have... I would probably I would put Oklahoma at number two and above I would, Clemson. Yeah, and I would probably put uh, Ohio State at fifth, and I would put Georgia at fourth. I might even put Georgia at third and put Clemson at fourth. I have no complaints there. Honestly, I would agree with that last take that you had. My top three would go Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, and then I would add Clemson and Ohio State after that. But like some that, folks yeah. would have a problem with putting Clemson over Ohio State because of the way last season ended with Ohio State clobbering Clemson, which I don't think last season should necessarily be an indication of this year's preseason poll either. But that's your top five. Let's move on after that. We'll go 6 through 15 here. 6, Texas A&M. 7, Notre Dame. 8, Iowa State. 9, North Carolina. 10, Cincinnati. 11, Florida. 12, Oregon. 13, LSU. 14, USC. And 15, Wisconsin. There, this is the range where I start to have a couple of issues with the poll, six and seven in particular, Texas A&M and Notre Dame. You and I have talked about Texas A&M a lot this offseason about how we don't necessarily know if they're going to be able to meet expectations, especially with a new quarterback and a new offensive line. I definitely have my questions, especially in the SEC West. This is the continuation of last season manifesting itself yep. in our preseason poll with Notre Dame and Texas A&M at that spot. I'm more okay with Notre Dame at seven. I do think that they will be one of this year's most underwhelming teams in college football. But if somebody wants to, I, I recognize that that's a hot take. So if somebody wants to rank them at seven with their returning production and what they've got coming back compared to the rest of college football, how they recruit, yada, yada, yada. I'm fine if you've got them at seven. I don't think that that's unfair for them there. A&M at six, after everything that they've lost, 
top 10, borderline top five. And then you, you're telling me A&M's two spots better than Iowa State, who pretty much brings their entire football team back. North Carolina, who did lose some key pieces, but Mac Brown looks like they've got them primed and ready to reload. Talked about the big difference between A&M and North Carolina. Quarterback play, man. Sam Howell's one of the best QBs in the country. Potential top overall draft pick this upcoming year. And A&M's like, we don't know who's playing quarterback. We don't even know who's playing offensive line. Half their offense is gone, you know? So that's my big issue. I'm with you there. Let's move outside the top 15 now. 16 through 25, we'll wrap up the poll here. Miami at 16, Indiana 17, 18, Iowa 19, Texas 20, Penn State 21, Washington 22, Oklahoma State 23, UL Lafayette 24, Coastal Carolina and 25, Ole Miss. And honestly, when I look at this top 25, if I showed this to myself 15 years ago, I would have been like, man, what happened to college football? What are all these people smoking? <laughs> Iowa State in the top 10? So North Carolina in the top 10. Cincinnati in the top 10. You know what I mean? I, I just look at Indiana in the top 25, top 20. I, UL Lafayette, Coastal Carolina would have thought the apocalypse happened. College football is vastly different than it was. I will say about this this last little bit that you were talking about, I actually don't have a, a, a lot of issues with it. I don't, do I. I don't know why Oklahoma State – is there I probably would have had a couple of other teams in there instead of them Liberty being one of them um but but other than than that I I like where Indiana's ranked I think the uh, Iowa ranking is fair Texas is a team that fluctuates so I think 19 is fair um so yeah I think a lot of these rankings are are pretty fair of course you did not hear Auburn's name in said poll Auburn comes in at let's see Utah's at 26 Northwestern at 27 (laughs) Arizona State at 28, Auburn at 29, 16 points higher than Liberty at 30. So Auburn barely edges in there in terms of total points after the poll shook out. Auburn receiving votes, they stand in at 29. I'm okay with some of those teams that are ranked ahead of them that I honestly think you could have said, you talk about Oklahoma State there where you didn't really like them in the top 25. I'm okay if you thrust a Utah or at Arizona State inside the top 25 because I believe those teams are going to be good football teams this year Auburn's another team where I'm like I I, I don't know how this team did anything to deserve to not be ranked they were a top five team in the SEC last year not just the SEC West they were top three in the SEC West they were one of five teams in the SEC last year that finished with a winning record what happened that's a really good question considering they bring back nine starters on offense and seven on defense now everybody will say well what happened was they changed coaches sure but they brought in a coach who knows how to win he's got talent my issue with the coaching change argument is don't apply it to this year apply it to two three years from now in terms of program building and being able to manage that you don't think that Gus Malzahn had questions coming from Arkansas State in terms of being able to manage a program as a head coach in the SEC. Pat Dye came from Wyoming. I could list these coaches on and on and from where they came from. It wasn't hotshot locations. Auburn hired Gene Chizik from Iowa State. It hasn't been a problem at Auburn up to this point. So for Auburn to be outside of the top 25, people know my gripes with that. But let's keep breaking down this poll here. We just ran through the entire top 25 Let's break this down with some interesting questions here. Which teams will fail to meet expectations? We'll start with the bad news. Which teams will not finish at their location in this current preseason poll? Which team at the end of the year do you think will there which teams do you think will have the biggest gap in the negative direction from where they've started at in the preseason? I listed four teams. Texas A&M, Notre Dame, 
Oklahoma State, and Ole Miss were the four teams that I had. We're three out of four there. I've got someone different, so I'll probably touch on that team after you go through your group. Texas A&M, talked about them. Notre Dame returns two starters on offense, and I I don't see them I don't see them uh I don't see them recuperating like they did or last season whenever they had a lot of question marks setting into 2020. I don't see Jack Cohen being the answer. I don't see this offense doing enough to to warrant a a top 10 ranking preseason. I'll start on Texas A&M. It all centers around that offense. I think the defense is a top three unit in the SEC this upcoming year. I like the nine starters coming back. Nothing really sticks out to me in terms of an individual player and individual talent on the defensive side of the ball about A&M, but the unit, the collective, the nine starters returning, that was one of the best defenses in the SEC last year in terms of points allowed per game at 21.7. And when you compare that to how bad the rest of college football was at defense, truly impressive. And I think that number actually gets better this year because you get some of those cupcake games. The thing about A&M is you look at their schedule, I think that they're going to lose to LSU. I think they're going to lose to Auburn. Auburn does really well in College Station. I think they're going to lose to Alabama. There's three losses right there. Can you find a fourth loss on this schedule in SEC play? Probably so. I think Arkansas is going to give them some trouble in Arlington because they typically do so. Doesn't matter how bad that Arkansas team was in certain years. I think Arkansas could give them a run for their money considering that is typically a close ball game once again despite how bad one of these two teams might be typically it was Arkansas Missouri is a team that I think can give them a run for their money considering that is being played at Missouri also they've got to go to Ole Miss the road schedule for this team is incredibly tricky when you get into October on Missouri Ole Miss and LSU those are not three locations that this team is going to just have a cakewalk in and I think they for sure lose at LSU because they I don't I don't think they've won at LSU yet since they've been in the league this A&M team I think you look at eight and four and my thing is I look at their ranking at six is eight and four in the top 10 Lance no no is A&M <laughs> An 8-4 team inside the top 15? Probably not. You're probably hugging to the top 25, top 20 line if you're an 8-4 football team. So I think A&M, that's where their range is at the end of the season. A top 25 team, but not a top 10 football team. And I love what you said about Notre Dame as well. Only two starters coming back on the offensive side of the football. I think they're going to have an okay defense, but the name of the game for Notre Dame up to this point under Brian Kelly has not been about defense. Their best teams have been able to move the football at will and what has constantly held them back from being an exceptional team in college football. They've been a good team. They've been able to win 9-10 games every single season. You look back in the last five years, they went 4-8 and eight in 2016. Since then, though, they've won at least 10 games. 2017, they went 10-3. and three. 2018, they went 12-1. 2019, they went 11-2. 2020, they went 10-2. Constantly, what has held them back, though, from being an exceptional team in college football, from not losing three games per year, it's quarterback play. And Jack Cohn, albeit is a decent quarterback, he's a good game manager, he's not someone that is going to help this Notre Dame football team push the ball up and down the field and that's exactly what they need at quarterback considering they only returned two or three starters on the offensive side of the ball they only bring back the only substantial piece of returning production for them on this football team on offense is their running back Kyron Williams who was pretty darn good last year over 1100 yards 5.3 yards per carry 13 touchdowns but is that going to be enough with Jack Cohn at quarterback I don't think so I think you see Notre Dame finish outside the top 10 as well. I agree. And you talk about not looking forward and grading these teams after their season ends. But I do want to look at that week one matchup against Florida State. I've said it a few times on this show. I think FSU covers. You think the upset's coming. I think the upset's coming, baby. 
I think FSU, if, if quarterback play is ironed out, it will be a mighty fine ball game on Sunday, September 5th. Also on that schedule, you got to play Wisconsin. Now that game's at a neutral site in Chicago, so it's a little bit closer to Notre Dame's fan base and Notre Dame's footprint than it is to Wisconsin. But still, I've, I'm very high up on this Wisconsin football team. They've also got Cincinnati at home. Cincinnati's going to be looking for a marquee victory in order to get themselves into the college football playoff discussion. Cincinnati's coming off of a bye game as well going into that one. Cincinnati's going to be headhunting the Golden Domes. And then you got Virginia Tech on the road. Of course, your main rivals, USC, Stanford. Stanford's on the road this year. That's a potential loss. North Carolina, there are a total of one, two, three, four, five, six football teams that are playing Notre Dame coming off of a bye. North Carolina is one of those teams. There are several teams on this schedule that are going to be looking for marquee victories to potentially make up for a loss to keep them in the college football playoff discussion. USC, North Carolina, Cincinnati, those teams. Wisconsin as well. Wisconsin's coming off of a bye. All of those teams are going to be circling Notre Dame on their schedule as this is extremely important in order for us to be in the college football playoff discussion. Notre Dame's going to get everyone's best, as they typically do, because it's Notre Dame. And I think that they're going to succumb to several losses this year, probably a 9-3 and three type of season. That's not bad, but that's not top 10. Right. That's just outside the top 10. I think they finished somewhere in that 13-15 to 15 range. I want to ask you a question really quick that I meant to ask you earlier, and I think uh, I think this is, this is interesting. Would, with Gus Malzahn, what, where would Auburn be ranked in this poll? I think they're they in the top Malzahn. 25. I don't know if they're inside the top 20. They might be in the top 20. Nine starters on offense, seven starters on defense. Oh, man. It just seems like everybody was so much more down on Auburn last year than they were about everybody else, even though college football as a whole was down last year. Like, LSU is someone that looked just absolutely abysmal last year for 90% of the season. They play two good games at the end of the year against two teams that didn't know how to play defense in Florida and Ole Miss, and now all of a sudden they're a top 15 team and they're giving Ed Orgeron the benefit of the doubt, right? Mm -hmm. So teams like LSU are catching a break. LSU goes 5-5 five and five last year, looks awful, once again, for 90% of the college football season. But everybody's like, oh, no, 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 no. This is a top 15 football team. Auburn is once again one of five teams in the SEC last year to have a winning record, and they're outside the top 25. I think Malzahn's bunch would have been edge of top 20, like 19 range, or they would have been just inside the top 25, but they would have been ranked. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you. I think they'd definitely be, definitely be ranked. And, and again, I think that goes back to re, another reason why Auburn fans should be optimistic heading into this season. It's not like the coaching – I don't. I, at least we don't think – I don't think the coaching has gotten worse. I think it has gotten better. So I think Auburn's ceiling is a little bit higher than maybe some media outlets believe. The difference that I have with you, and I, I want to get to Oklahoma State and some of your back-end numbers, I agree with you completely on Ole Miss, and we'll keep talking about this throughout the show. I want to go ahead and break down Penn State. I think Penn State has a real chance to finish outside the top 25. This like Penn that. State team may not bounce back just like some pundits out there are expecting them to be. Phil still has them as his number one surprise team or bounce back team, whatever it is in his magazine. It's most improved team. That's what it is. He's got Penn State as his most improved team from last year. It's not hard to improve from four and five just with a non-conference schedule come again that has Ball State, Villanova. Wow, they only play two. 
Oh, my bad. How did I miss Auburn there? What is wrong with me? They play Ball State and Villanova in the non-conference schedule, and then they've got Auburn also, right? And so Auburn's going to make that a little bit more difficult, but still, you get some of those easier games in that you didn't have last year from playing a you know seven, eight-game conference schedule last year in the Big Ten. But my main issue with Penn State right here is what did they do well last year, and what gives you confidence that that will be any better this year? Offensive line play last season, horrible. Gave up 28 sacks in nine games. That's pretty darn bad. That is really bad. That's more than three sacks a ball game. This offensive line was not very good at pass protection. They weren't very good at run blocking either. Gave, uh, they, they only had 3.9 yards per carry last year. Their leading rusher last year, Kayvon Lee, only averaged 4.9 yards per carry. Leading rushers on football teams that have less than five yards per carry that's not good it's not that hard in today's day and age to average more than five yards per carry as a running back at least as a starter Penn State was not able to run the football effectively last year only that they they ran the ball a ton so they were able to get 174 rush yards per game but their numbers for all intents and purposes last season they were down all over the place on offense last year what gives folks confidence that it's going to be that much better this year 60.3 percent team completion percentage at quarterback they only averaged 256 pass yards per game they had to throw the ball a lot last year considering they were playing from behind a ton Sean Clifford last year though you look at his numbers 61 percent completion percentage 1,863 yards 16 touchdowns nine picks sounds like Bo Nix right it's like I, I and I don't know if we've seen up to this point the potential in Sean Clifford that maybe at times we've seen out of Bo Nix and then this defense still gave up 27.7 points allowed per game on that side of the ball pretty good unit in terms of run stopping pass coverage not half bad either but they still gave up a lot of points gave up 28 defense is honestly the thing that i'm probably most comfortable with about penn state but the offense i just don't see how it makes major leaps forward with this liability this massive liability of five human beings up front called the offensive line yeah and i think another issue for for penn state last season is they were turnover prone and it caused a lot of problems in terms of uh starting field position minus eight in turnover margin it was really really bad because they would they would turn the ball over and then other teams would score and you look at their marks noah you notice that it's 27 points a game but they were pretty good i believe in total yards per game last season so it was it's this offense creates problems for this and team as a whole and they couldn't catch up something else i want to say about penn state just run through the schedule let's look for losses they're at wisconsin to open up the season i think that's a loss i've got auburn beating penn state and happy valley i'll just go ahead and mark that one as, as why i think this team will fail to meet expectations why they wouldn't be a top 25 team say they start out the year they're one and two after september 18th okay you beat villanova you're two and two then you got to play indiana that's a potential loss you got to play iowa on the road their first six games are brutal wisconsin auburn indiana iowa all four of those teams, when they play them, they will be inside the top 25. Indiana, maybe they could fall out. Iowa, maybe they could fall out because those teams could have an average type of start to the season. They don't typically get as much respect from voters as other teams do, right? But right now, inside the preseason poll, those teams are ranked aside from Auburn, and Auburn's on the cusp of it. Brutal first six games of the season. You could be looking at four losses through the first six weeks if Penn State doesn't catch any breaks and then you get into the second half of the season and you still have to play Ohio State you still have to play Michigan Michigan State gave them a run for their money last year they were able to beat them but it was a relatively close ball game until the second half there are losses potentially on this schedule that could keep Penn State out of the top 25 when the year rolls around 
or when the year ends if they don't catch any breaks. Yeah, I agree with you quickly. I want to talk about Oklahoma State. I included them in there simply because I don't know if they should deserve to be ranked to start the season. And then also, you look at their schedule, I see five potential losses simply because they don't have Chuba Hubbard, and I don't think their quarterback, Spencer Sanders, is the answer. 14 touchdowns, eight interceptions last season. They're going to try and rely on him to throw a little bit more this season. They lost their top three uh, receiving targets from last year. And again, potentially five losses on this schedule. And you look at that game week three at Boise State, that could be the catalyst that kind of sends them down a, a, a dark road. So We've been talking a lot about teams that may not meet expectations. When we come back, we'll talk about teams that we think will exceed expectations, teams that we think are a little undervalued. Twenty-four minutes into the second hour of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call: three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Text line at three three four five six four one eight four zero. Breaking down the USA Today coaches poll: preseason poll was released. Auburn outside the top twenty-five. Alabama number one. Georgia at five. Florida sitting there at eleven. LSU at thirteen. Ole Miss, the last SEC team to get ranked at 25. We talked a lot about teams that we think will fail to meet expectations. Also just failed to mention that Texas A&M's ranked six. Excuse me, those are all your SEC teams. Now, which teams will exceed expectations this upcoming this upcoming year? And if you've listened to today's show up to this point, if you listen to, this, to, to today's show at all or, or any of this show ever, you know that I think that Auburn's going to be a much better football team than what the average media outlet or the average media personality will project. Auburn, once again, coming at 29 in this year's preseason poll. They're receiving votes at the moment. So I'll just go ahead and clear that. Auburn's a team that I think will exceed expectations based off of what this poll gauges them at. Let's get to some teams outside of Auburn. Who do you have? I have, and I just I, I listed I listed teams that were in the poll that I believe could potentially finish higher uh, than when where they are currently ranked. Miami was one that I looked at, sitting there at number sixteen. I believe that they could uh, they, they've got a really good shot to win their division in the ACC this year, and I think they could potentially surprise some folks. Derek King, really solid quarterback. They bring back a ton of production, one of the best teams in in the country in terms of production that they bring back both on offense and defense. So I, I've I've got a lot of high hopes for Miami this season. I've got Wisconsin at 15 right in front of them as a team that I think will finish. If you're talking about biggest disparity between where they're at in their preseason start and where they will finish, I think Wisconsin's a top 10 football team at season's end. Maybe even if they have another one of those years. You know, there are, there are seasons that we've looked at the college football playoff poll and you get to like week 11 and Wisconsin's undefeated and everybody's like, wait, how'd they get there? What have they been doing? They've been playing football? Who have they played, Right. And they, they don't play a difficult schedule. This is another one of those years where Wisconsin's looking for teams to play. Now, week one, difficult start. Penn State, they open it, but they get them at home. After that, Eastern Michigan, blowout win. Then they've got a bye week, and then they've got Notre Dame at, uh, in a neutral site game in Chicago. That Notre Dame game, extremely important for Wisconsin. My reasoning for that is the schedule lightens up tremendously after that Notre Dame game. After that... People are going to be looking at Wisconsin's schedule and thinking, man, they didn't play anybody. So they absolutely have to beat Notre Dame 
to have some type of clout. They got to beat Penn State and Notre Dame. And, and I've even talked about Penn State as being a win that may not even be that valuable for a college football playoff resume at the end of the year. But in order for this team to move out of that 5-6 range at the end of the season, if they're sitting, you know, one loss going into those last couple of weeks, a similar type of position that Texas A&M was at last year, they have to have quality wins. So you got to beat Notre Dame there at that neutral side. After that, you host Michigan. They were not very good last year. I don't think they will be very good this year. At Illinois, host Army West Point. At Purdue, host Iowa and homecoming. At Rutgers, host Northwestern and Nebraska. And then they're at Minnesota. That's a cakewalk. That division is going to be incredibly down. Northwestern, I don't think, is going to be very good this year. They lost a ton of talent off of last year's team. They lost even some guys to the transfer portal, several guys to the NFL draft. Northwestern's going to have a rebuilding year this year. Nebraska is still one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. Minnesota still trying to get better, but they've got key weaknesses that I think a team like Wisconsin will be able to exploit. Rutgers, still an awful football program. Iowa's going to be good. That is going to be one of their marquee wins that you circle on the schedule where you're like, all right, they played somebody. Iowa's still going to be a decent team, but most years, decent for Iowa's like, all right, they won nine games. That's probably what you're looking at again for an Iowa football team. Purdue, also awful. Army, not very good. Illinois, awful. Like, you just look up and down the schedule. It's extremely easy after Notre Dame. This Wisconsin team, there's real opportunity here to be 10-2, 11-1 after November, and they're on the cusp of a playoff spot. Yep, I, I agree with you. Uh Talk talk to me about eleven and one. Where where does that one loss come if they do lose a game? Say they lose to Penn State in week one, just random like I'm just throwing one out there. Penn State maybe week one, just because it's the first game of the season. Some teams prepare better for that first game, all of that preparation. We've seen Auburn make a key win against Washington in twenty eighteen and then lose to Mississippi State and Tennessee, two unranked teams at the time that they play them, end up being seven and five at the end of the year, right? So that first game you, you you change a lot after that first game maybe Wisconsin loses to Penn State and runs the table for that moment on maybe they lose to Notre Dame in a nasty 2017 type of ball game in a, in a colder environment in Chicago I don't know maybe maybe I'm just leaving the room open for Graham Mertz a quarterback last year who had 19 to five interceptions only a 61.1 percent completion percentage 1,238 yards of course he was a true freshman last year I'm leaving the door open for Wisconsin to lose a game that maybe you wouldn't expect them to because they just don't play well, right? I agree with you. I was about to say if Graham Mertz figures it out, this team could be could go 12 and 0. Like there's an opportunity for that. Big 10 title game is where it gets decided when they play Ohio State. Yep. They're on the outside looking in, but they could get close. More of on the line when we come back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. What do you think about the preseason coaches poll that was released? You got any major gripes with it? You think it's pretty good? Lance was like, yeah, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. This is about where I thought it was at. And I agree with you. I looked at it, I was like, yeah, I don't have any major gripes. Yeah, outside of Notre Dame not finishing ranked. I'm kidding. <laughs> We're talking about teams that we think will exceed expectations, teams that we think there might be a major disparity between where they've started and where they end, and a team that I just said that, that I want to finish talking about, Wisconsin's. I, I think you look at their schedule, there's no Ohio State in the regular season, which kind of sets up for this Wisconsin team to have similar types of years like they did back in 2017 
where they could be 13 and 0 going into or 12 and 0 going into the Big Ten title game and then lose the Big Ten title game right to Ohio State and then everybody's like yeah they didn't deserve to be there so it's just an easy schedule so I, I like Wisconsin a lot to finish much higher than 15 you talked about Miami I agree with that a lot of their trajectory depends on what they do defensively and if they can avoid potential pitfall games in the ACC because when they played a good team on their schedule last year they lost and they lost bad yeah. I, I think about that North Carolina game. They what? They gave up like a fifty piece to North Carolina. Yeah, I watched that entire game, and it was a bloodbath. It was it was terrible, absolutely terrible for Miami. They the 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 North Carolina running game was was on display that day. And North Carolina, despite the fact that they lost a lot of talent, I think that they could be another surprise team in college football this year as well. But can they be a surprise team when they're already ranked in the preseason top ten? I think that was surprising to see them in the preseason top ten but they will be a very good football team yet again. 19 returning starters for Miami. Lone losses last year. You talk about they lost to Clemson, 42-17. to Blowout loss. Lost to North Carolina, 62-26. to It wasn't a 50-piece, it was a 60-piece. And then you talk about the bowl game as well. Lost in the Cheez-It Bowl to Oklahoma State, 37-34. to So defense did not show up to play against good teams on their schedule. Offense only showed up to play against Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State was not one of the better defenses there. Another team that I think can exceed expectations and finish much higher than their preseason start, Texas. Yep. You like that? Yeah, I put them on my list as well. So we have the same list, unless you didn't include Wisconsin. I, I did not. I included two other teams that could maybe, I, I put maybe beside them, maybe exceed expectations. But. This is what I like about Texas so much. There's some hype revolving around the quarterback position, which if you're not talking about somebody's quarterback, which, and I said this a lot last year about Miles Brennan, okay people were talking about there, there are some quarterbacks that you go into a season and people are like oh yeah this guy he's going to be really good and sometimes the hype doesn't pan out but at least there was some hype there which means there was a pedigree that was coming into the starting position and that's what you've got here with Casey Thompson at quarterback for Texas and you looked at what he did last year for Texas he had a 71 percent completion percentage he was 12 for 17 in his limited action but he had six touchdowns Six of his 12 completions went for a touchdown last season. He can run the football all right. He had 31 rushing yards last year on eight attempts. Not terrible, 3.9 yards per carry. He can move. This is a guy who's a little bit of a dual threat. And Steve Sarkeesian walking into a program that you look back at their last four classes in recruiting. They all finished inside the top 10, two of which finished top three. Those classes are now becoming upperclassmen. Texas has the talent to finally stop losing games in the Big 12 to teams like TCU where they have no business losing those ball games. And then you look back to two years ago, they lose to Baylor. And, they, uh, and Baylor was pretty good, but at the time, you know, like th- this Texas team, it-, it is the University of Texas. They shouldn't be losing to Baylor. They shouldn't be losing to TCU. They shouldn't be losing to Iowa State. This is the year where I think Texas, maybe they lose to Iowa State, maybe they lose to Oklahoma because I genuinely think those two teams are better. But I do think you're looking at a third in the Big 12 finish for Texas, maybe even after a tiebreaker shakes out for them to get into the Big 12 title game. I'm looking at a 9-3, 10-2 Texas team, which is a higher finish than sitting at 19th in the preseason poll. I completely agree with you. To play devil's, devil's advocate, 
man, it's going to stink whenever they're 0-2 to start the year. That is a joke. <laughs> but I will say this. They play Louisiana Lafayette, who's also in the top 25. You got a 19-23 matchup there to open up the year. Bet you didn't think about UL Lafayette being ranked in that first game. That's a top 25 game week one, man. It's going to be better fine. be on ESPN. Yeah, absolutely. And then you've got, uh, you've got Arkansas in week two. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas, nah. But I will say this, Maryland. That is all I will say. That was all I will well, say about this Well, look at what Lafayette did, to, and I know they're not called Lafayette anymore, but that's how people know them. Louisiana, look at what they did, the Raging Cajuns. Look at how they ran all over Iowa State last year. Mm-hmm. There, There's room to lose in the first two weeks. You're not wrong. There are pitfalls on the schedule. But, they have to go to TCU, got to go to Baylor, to Iowa State, to West Virginia. Those aren't going to be easy. That's a tough road schedule in the Big 12. I will say this, though, and I agree with you. The recruiting, the guys that have come into this program are now upper, upperclassmen they are experienced. They are talented. They've got a really good offensive mind in Steve Sarkeesian. They should be able to fend off some of those schools that they've had issues with in the past. Majority of their productions coming back. Got their top two rushers back, Bijan Robinson's and some Heisman odds inside the top ten. You got a quarterback you feel pretty confident in. Your leading receiver and Joshua Moore's back. Two of your top three leading receivers are back. You got three of your top five back there on defense. Your top two tacklers are coming back got a large portion of the middle of the pack production of course after the you only got two of your top five coming back your top two tacklers are coming back and tacklers um but after that the next three guys are are gone but texas hasn't texas exceeding expectations won't be about their defense because i still think that will be looking like a big 12 defense it'll be about this offense being able to put up what they did last year which was 42 points a game and i think that's real possible steve sarkeesian at the helm and some of these talented players on offense and considering they also play in the big 12 but you've got a couple other teams that you think could exceed expectations yeah a couple that i put maybe beside usc and indiana are two teams that i could potentially see be finishing the year higher than where they where they would they were uh they were ranked usc offensively is an interesting team to me they bring back seven starters they've got a really solid solid quarterback in kendon slovis um i keaton. think keaton i'm sorry uh i i, I believe that this offense could they were scoring what 33 yeah they were scoring 33.3 points per game last season best passing offense in the Pac-12 I think they could take another step forward this year and they well, were for the first time since 2015 they actually had a positive turnover margin it was plus five last year there you go there you go you've got six starters coming back on defense I think I think they can improve there as well Pac-12 statistically when you look that when you look at all their different statistics statistics and you look at where their programs rank compared to other schools and nationally they're not incredibly good but whenever you talk about a team finishing ranked higher than than 18th 19th I think we could see this team potentially win the south and and make it to the championship game 14 felt like it was appropriate if not a little high for me with USC I say this and I'm talking about ending now pre you know preseason pull on five with them at 14 I'm not gonna gripe about that I like Wisconsin more than them I may like Miami more than them Indiana I may even like more than them there's a couple teams that I may like more than USC in that preseason poll but I'm not angry with them at 14 the schedule bothers me Stanford's gonna give them a tough game in week two but they ought to be able to get past them but you look at the road schedule they're going to Washington State to Colorado at Notre Dame at Arizona State at Cal USC has not been averse to dropping games that they shouldn't you look at the last five years they go 10 and 3 11 and 3 5 and 7 8 and 5 last year 5 and 1 last year was their most consistent year but you look at some of those losses in that 8 and 5 year 2019 lost to BYU 
Washington was ranked, Notre Dame was ranked, Oregon ranked. So they lost to some good teams on that schedule, beat some good teams as well, like Utah was a top 10 team at the time that they beat them. But it's that BYU loss that sticks out to me. You go to 2018, they lose to unranked Utah, Arizona State, Cal, USC. They lost to four unranked teams that year, 2018. In 2017, they lose to Washington State, Notre Dame. They lose in their bowl game in 2006, uh, 2017, excuse me, and the Cotton Bowl to Ohio State. There's just This is a team that's had a hard time beating the good teams and has dropped some games to the middle of pack schools as well. And I still expect that trend to continue because that's something that Clay Helton has yet to buck for me. And I think the Pac-12 is getting a little bit stronger this year than it was last year considering that you're playing a full football season. You get the spring to work through. I'm expecting teams like Arizona State and Utah to be strong contenders in their division i disagree but again that's why i put them at a maybe they'll be they'll be six and zero heading into that game against notre dame that stanford will not be in, in a difficult game week two washington you're not worried State, about utah at all no i'm i'm not as high on utah as as you are i don't i just don't it, consistency when you talk about teams that have been incredibly consistent in college football iowa is another one of them utah is another team that has constantly been that eight or nine win program I just don't see at home USC dropping that game. Sure. I'd give you that. I'll say this, though. Road games for Utah over the last five years against USC. They beat them in 2017, 28-27. Beat them in 2019, 23-30. So they've beaten them two of the last three times. Or, yes, two of the last three times at SC. Yeah, and last two times USC won on the road 33-17 to last year. Obviously, yep. the quarterback situation is different at Utah, but still, I have faith in this USC team to potentially to not do what they've done in the past, which is logical. I agree with you. That makes sense to say I think the trend's going to continue under Helton, but I, I'm just banking on maybe, again, maybe they won't screw up. Sure. Talk to me about Indiana. Indiana, you and I have talked about this team quite a bit, uh, about how, how high I, I am on them. Some of it is, some of it is uh, maybe irrational, very similar to USC. Um, but but I really like what my, Michael Penix Jr. brings back. This offense really gave Ohio State a run for their money last year. I think they can do a very similar thing this season. Now, will they win their division? Probably not, but I can see them finishing a little bit higher than maybe 17th when it's all said and done. You look at their schedule, they've got Iowa on the road to open the season. That's going to be interesting. Idaho, Cincinnati, Western Kentucky uh, during that uh, September slate. Then you got Penn State on the road, Michigan State. Then you do get Ohio State at home this season. You know, they bring back eight starters on that offense again. Only 28.9 points per game last season, but you saw in flashes against some of the better teams on their schedule, they were able to to at least stay in it. And their defense was pretty good last season as well. They bring nine starters back there, only allowed 20 points a game. So I can see this team beating some teams that they maybe shouldn't. I'm not saying that they're going to beat Ohio State, but I can see them going on the road and maybe beating, beating Penn State, maybe beating Michigan, Minnesota, and Purdue to wrap up the season. I could see this team finishing with with nine and three uh ten and two even uh and then it's uh maybe just sitting inside the top 15 potentially that's why i said maybe i don't know if it's going i'm I'm not as i'm not as confident in uh, miami and texas as i am uh in uh indiana and usc i like the indiana selection a lot more than the usc one because indiana was young last year Penix is a sophomore he's a sophomore and he's coming back obviously off an injury but we see guys time and time again it's easier to come back from those injuries than it was 10 years ago 15 years ago and whatnot guys come back and they're just fine you've got 
four of your five starters coming back on the offensive line as you brought out you've got your top receiving target Ty Freifogel coming back 19 and a half yards per reception seven touchdowns 721 yards last year four of your top five receivers are back you lose your leading rusher in Stevie Scott but I'm okay with plugging and playing with a running back when I've got my quarterback coming back in once again four of my top five receiving targets coming back as well yeah you talk about on the defensive side of the ball let's see here let's count it up one two three four five six seven of their top eight tacklers are back nine starters back on defense as you pointed out and you look up and down this depth chart i see tons of sophomores and juniors on this on on this depth chart and that tells me what, what does that tell you about last year they were sophomores last year and freshmen last year right that was a young indiana team that went six and two last year now, maybe it caught some folks by surprise, and maybe with college football having a full offseason, maybe things go back to equilibrium a little bit. But I feel a little bit more comfortable with Indiana being a shocking team than maybe USC, considering USC has been a team that, once again, we've talked about the trajectory and the, and the trends for USC. They just lose games that are just – they leave you scratching your head. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so for USC, I think it – again, I'm not incredibly confident, but I think there's, there's a potential there for them to buck trends. And then for Indiana, I think they can build on what they did last season yeah i think the perfect way to to sum it up indiana's already exceeded expectations so it's easier for me to believe that they could do it again usc has yet to do that for me usc's yet to be like hey we we just did something that we haven't done in a little while right it's been it's been since like 2017 when they had sam darnold and slovis is good but i think a bit i think a bit turnover prone and um i think also you talk about that defense still not necessarily what i wanted to be at either and a a relatively tough schedule also for usc but let's take a quick break here we wrap up the show back on on the line noah gardner and lance Dahl with you on espn 106.7 at fox sports central alabama Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. About six minutes left of the show until the drive with Bill Cameron coming up here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama from 4 to 6 p.m. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. Max Roundtable on the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. All right, everybody, looking at Lego Masters returning on Fox with a new episode at 7 p.m. The remaining seven duos attempt to build structures that can withstand heavy winds without breaking. Quarterfinals of America's Got Talent, also on network television on NBC at 7. Movie selections for tonight. First installment of the Godfather series is on AMC from 6 to 10 p.m. Disney's Maleficent is on Freeform at 7. Adam Sandler in the gang with Grown Ups 2 on IFC at 7 also. And then Tag on TNT at 7. Some live sports tonight. NBA Summer League Basketball is on ESPNU at 6 p.m. with the Boston Celtics at the Denver Nuggets. Summer League action continuing at 8 p.m. on ESPN between the Detroit Pistons and the Houston Rockets. League's Cup Soccer is on ESPN2 at 7 with an MLS-Liga MX matchup between Sporting KC and Club Leon. And that's what's on TV tonight. You said we just got a text. 334-564-1840 is our text line. Our good friend Spectre texting us. What do you have to say? Spectre, uh, with, with a hot take, G League is going to be the death of college basketball. I, okay, I, I, I would have I, agreed with this five months ago. Maybe even a couple more months ago. 
or like other leagues like the G League. Now, I think it's important to specify a little bit more because the G League in itself is not the death of college basketball. It's more of that one team, the G League Ignite team, you know, that that allows high school players to go and play in the G League and get paid a lot of money. But now high school players can go to college and get paid a lot of money. Here's the question, though. We've yet to see these two go head-to-head. Inspector still may be on to something because some college basketball players may not make $100,000 total in college, whereas you sign one deal one year in G League at night, and you're making 100 Gs. So he may have a point there. Yeah, but I, I think with, with, with NIL, I think it, uh, knowing that there's opportunity out there to to grow as a player for four years in an amateur, I guess, environment and to practice and hone your skill and get – it's not probably not going to be the same amount of money if I'm a five-star recruit, if I'm a Jabari Smith, but there's still opportunity to earn that money and then to step onto the NBA stage instead of kind of, kind of being somewhat of a professional immediately – I, I if personally I would view that as a good thing I would I would want to do that I'm interested to see these two go head to head I'm not disagreeing with you I, I'm just saying we don't know right, right? like I, I'm interested to see these two go to battle on the recruiting trail because on the one hand yes now you can make money in college now you can step into the college environment and go and get those endorsement deals and some players namely it's just been football it seems but I think there's going to be some gymnasts like Suni Lee's going to have this opportunity where you can make six figures or more you know or or maybe even upwards of seven figures when you're talking about you know the numbers that Nick Saban threw out for Bryce Young and whatnot so I think that you will see some guys that are outliers that make an absolute ton of money and maybe some of these high end maybe if Zion was stepping into college basketball this time maybe he does have a shoe deal with somebody you know mm-hmm. that 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 is obviously the sh- the shoe supplier of Duke men's basketball you know me whoever that is I think they're a Nike school you know so maybe he's getting Nike shoes you know and he could you know fly through his shoes you know actually as a as a shoe as a, with an actual shoe deal you know and then they mm-hmm. can get him another one but my thing is is the college experience coupled now with the ability to make money is that going to be enough to overcome the surefire one hundred thousand dollars for a very small percentage of players also i'll say this i disagree with that it's the death of college basketball college basketball is not going anywhere so 15 guys in every recruiting class go and play for the g league at night whatever the next top 15 guys will come to college basketball anyway and the product will still be enjoyable we're still gonna have a good time watching basketball i don't think you're going to miss those 15 players that have been sprinkled out and interspersed out throughout college basketball yeah so i think there are a couple of sides to this when you look at you know the g league competition wise versus college competition wise like if if i'm among the elite if i am a four or five star recruit i would want to go play in the g league right because i'm playing against better competition potentially to maybe hone my craft against some of the the best that the pro-am spectrum has to offer they also groom you it's not like you're playing a full g league schedule either Mm -hmm. it's it's like garner towards those players getting ready for the nba draft and they groom you in certain business aspects right it's kind of one of like one of those nil programs inside of a university they like teach you how to be the all-around nba player in in today's modern day the reason that i don't think it's going to be the death of college football is because there are only a few guys basketball basketball i'm sorry that are only there are only a few guys that are those four and five star kids like there's so many other recruits that are going to step into into the college game not even have a shot at, at the g league and be like oh my goodness i can make money 
and I think that's going to propel college basketball forward. Yeah, NIL is definitely um, a major punch back at what the G League was doing and some of those other leagues that were cropping up around the basketball sphere as well, like what's going on in Atlanta and whatnot with that league that's getting fired up there that I, that was able to get a couple of uh, good basketball players. But it's really only marketed towards you know the top of the top and that's five stars right. i don't even know if i would include four stars like you were i think it's only like five stars that are really getting the attention of the g league you know and it's the best of the best it's top 15 top 20 guys yeah and i i really think if anything it's going to potentially take some of those five star guys away from the g league and bring them to the college game yeah i would agree with that that's it for another edition of on the line the drive with bill cameron and dan pack coming up we'll see you tomorrow same time same place you know where to find us